Snowmageddon out here, folks. According to our meteorologist, the nationwide blizzard superstorm sees no end anytime soon. New York hit a record snowfall yesterday with 45 inches, more than three and a half feet. Over the weekend, Wisconsin saw snowdrifts up to seven meters high. California hit a record 60 inches, 20 more than its previous record in 1922. FEMA is instructing counties of heavy snowfall to dress warm, set their faucets to drip, and await further instruction. Back to you, Benjamin. More reports recently regarding what is now being called the rise. Nina Simpson, an expert ecologist, is here to speak with us today. Nina, what are these things, and what can we expect from them? Hi, Ben. These flora are fascinating, not like anything I've seen before. Its trunk is dark in color, like Alocasia amazonica, and has a cream-colored xylem that seems to circulate some kind of liquid. With more testing, we could recover their DNA makeup and find out precisely what they are. The one thing we know for sure is they're stronger than any flora on the planet, and they're insusceptible to external damage, so we can't just cut them open. Taxonomists at the American Horticultural Society have done extensive research, but they are not releasing their findings to the public as of yet. Some citizens are concerned for their safety, and to that we can say there's nothing at all to worry about. They are just plants, right Nina? From what we can tell, they have no interest in living things. To be safest, vacate your property if you find any signs of growth. Until I continue my research, that's all the advice I have I'm for- sorry. Wait, Nina, we have breaking news. Stay with us. Washington is- is currently issuing a national alert that is advising citizens to stay inside and shelter in place. Um, across the nation, we are seeing large-scale shutdowns at every level. I'm told that representatives of your local government will be delivering essentials for those who need them. Shut your windows and... Ben! What the hell? Ben! Help! Help me! Attention. Civil danger warning. Information in this broadcast is vital to your safety. Authorities are enforcing a sheltering place. If you are outdoors, seek immediate shelter. If you are driving, pull to the side of the road and stay in your vehicle. If you are indoors, stay well away from windows. Keep your eyes to the ground at all times and await further instructions. This message will now repeat. Adam's Log, January 1st, 2029. There was never any way to save yourself. Despite what the emergency broadcast said, the Roots always found who they wanted to. Growing through anything in the way, up and down every street, a panicked procession of cars lay toppled. Roots growing through them in an unmoving forest. Their drivers litter the sky now. Effigies. It's unnerving. Thinking about just how many dead are up there... 
I try my best not to look at them, or hear the birds picking away at what's left. Soon after the first rise, people tried building ladders to get up to the lifted places. Some wanted to loot the abandoned stores and houses, and others wanted to find their loved ones up in the roots. A few even built walkways and lived up there. To escape the biting cold down here, I figure. But the cold bites harder the higher you climb. No one I saw go up there came back down. Well, unless they fell. I went up a year ago to the supermarket for some medicine that I'm sure no one had taken yet. Most things worth looting are long frozen, sometimes behind ice so thick you can hardly make out what's behind it. That's what the ice picks are for. Prison supermarkets were the best, because the meat section was basically fully preserved. I would be going up to the risen world all the time for frozen meat, but when you reach a certain height, it's more roots than buildings. Seeing all those people suspended, seeing the bodies of everyone who'd try to make a life up there, it, uh, it takes a toll. <sighs> I'm not dumb enough to try that trip again, unless it's really worth it. I wasn't going to make any more of these journals after what happened last week, but with the state I'm in, I guess I just needed a reason to talk. To let me hear my own thoughts out loud. It helps ease the aching, both in my leg and my head. And I suppose if there really are other people out there, oh, I want them to hear my story. When, when they uh, find what's left of me. That thing. It, it tore my leg open, all the way to the bone. The flesh just seared like it was burned, but nothing actually burned me. I didn't even see anything touch my leg. There was a, a that loud noise, a sharp stabbing pain, and then I fell. If I hadn't fallen where I had, the rest of me would have been gone too. I fell into a basement concealed by a deep snowbank. I woke up some time after I waited down there until the noise faded into the distance. It must have been looking for me, because I could hear its music as it was pacing around above where I fell, stopping and starting again. It was exactly the kind of music I used to hear when I was little. I was raised in a Catholic school, so I heard a lot of choir music growing up, hymns and stuff like that. I never really liked it. It filled me with this uneasy gloom. How the, how the hell does a bird sing like that? No, that thing wasn't a bird. He didn't even have a face. I... I don't want to think about it anymore. Every time I try to picture it, I get a headache. When I was sure I couldn't hear it anymore, I climbed out and started back to the hardware store. Barely able to walk. My leg is messed up bad. I haven't even gone outside since, but I managed to stitch and bandage myself fast enough to stop the bleeding. But, infection. We'll just have to wait and find out. <clears throat> I really thought I was alone. Between the still silence and all those people in the sky, it was pretty easy to convince myself of that. But now, after hearing that voice on the radio, I don't know. There has to be other people, in bunkers or 
or basements, you know, those uh, doomsday preppers. They've got to still be around. Maybe that Abigail person is one of them. Or maybe she lives up there in the Risen World, in some sky-dweller's dystopia. Or maybe I didn't hear anyone. Maybe it was that monster playing tricks on me, just trying to lure me out. No, I know I'm not crazy. I heard someone on that radio. Something about a David means there's more people than just her. And after what happened to me, I know there's more out there than just people. I wish I could hear her again, but the radio's busted. I landed on it in the fall. Until I find another one, I don't have any way to contact her. Oh, I almost forgot. I found something interesting. <clears throat> well, in the basement, I dug around for anything I could bring back with me and found this case. On the outside, it's pretty plain looking, except for this weird-ass cross engraved in gold paint. Inside... <clears throat> there's, uh, just an SD card with a note. To Mom, signed your moon and star. I'm loading the audio file onto the Zoom recorder to give it a listen. Uh, that's all for now. I need to get some food started. You never believed me when I told you I'd move away to the city someday. You'd laugh at me and say, Madison, dearie, dreams are for the sad naive, those who can't come to grips with reality. I always thought you were the sad one. When I was a kid, I always wanted to be a CEO, start my own company, be an entrepreneur. I didn't know what kind of product I wanted to sell or what service I wanted to provide. I just dreamed someday I'd corner some underrated market and become a household name. You, of course, thought this was ridiculous. You lectured me that young women have no place in such a world. You asked why I didn't want to settle down with a successful young man like you had. I told you I didn't want to marry a man. That I wasn't going to waste my whole life with somebody that I didn't love. You'd see, once I graduated with a business degree, you'd see how wrong you were. And on my 18th birthday, right after I finished my college applications and sealed my letters of recommendation, you sat me down and confessed to me that you had blown my college fund on some addiction or another. If I wanted to go to college, I would be on my own to pay for it. I left home in a rage the same night, remember? You didn't fight me, never begged for me to stay, or... You even pleaded with me. You just stood there in the open door and stared. Not at me. Not at the car. Not even at the trail of junk got thrown from the house and into the yard. But at the sky. And right before I climbed into the car, you whispered to yourself, Ah, moon and star. You are very far. But we're no one farther than you slammed the car door and left. That was the last time I ever saw you. I drifted for a while, staying with friends, 
I used a library computer to email the universities that accepted me and explained my circumstances. Most were understanding, but ultimately couldn't help financially without documentation. Something I didn't have anymore. <laughs> College was out of the picture now, and I ended up on the street before long. I resented you. I cursed you for single-handedly ruining my dreams with your habits. I must have missed what was going on with the news because it wasn't until two weeks after it happened that I found out about the first rise. Religious nut jobs were standing on every street corner holding up signs like The Rise Will Save or God Has Risen or other bullshit like that. I didn't think much of it. Week by week, the temperature dropped a degree or two. It shouldn't have been that cold, especially not in September. I shrugged it off and told myself I'd rather freeze and come crawling back to my mother. In late September, I was approached on the street by a tall, venerable old man with a sunken face and long, frail hands. He said his name was Abraham, and he was a priest at a local church in downtown, and he said that I was exactly what he'd been looking for. Abraham had a poignant calmness about him, a strange collectedness that made me want to trust anything he said. He invited me to his church's youth shelter under the agreement that I would serve the Lord. Unsheltered and alone, I was too weak to refuse I'd never been religious, but sweeping a few pews in exchange for food and shelter away from the blistering cold sounded like a great deal to me. So that's exactly what I did. I cleaned the church, passed out pamphlets and Bibles on the street, repaired the materials for sermons, that sort of stuff. He interviewed everyone the church took in with some basic questions about our situation to be sure we weren't trouble. He was sympathetic to my situation, but parroted the same tired point about women that you used to say. I shared a common house with a few others, all of whom Father Abraham had taken in. I noticed that a lot of them had come from the Midwest and into Washington, which I thought was weird. That's how I met Michelle, a recovering addict from New York who'd come to the West to find a purpose, train hopping all over the country. Her interview had gone differently. Abraham made her take frequent drug tests in order to stay, and he usually assigned her the most menial labor. Michelle and I ended up talking a lot on shifts, and she told me about what was happening all over the country. That vines were growing under buildings and picking them up. People were falling from them and getting hurt. Some were dying. I'd heard very little about this, so it came as a shock to me. I thought about you, Mom, and I wondered if you were okay. Michelle was sympathetic since she had lost her mother to alcohol and never had a stable family. We started hanging out more and more, always trying to find out more news about the rise. In our free time, we'd play solitaire together, listen to music to distract ourselves from what was going on in the outside world. <laughs> you would have hated her, Mom. 
<laughs> She's a stick it to the man type gal. Never took shit from anybody. I wish you could have seen her. A couple months after meeting, Michelle told me she'd really enjoyed our time together and that being with me helped her keep her mind off of what was going on. She asked me if I wanted to go on a date. I said yes, of course. She'd become family, and for the first time in my life, I didn't feel alone. The next night, after the church was locked up, we snuck up to the attic and had a little makeshift picnic with wine and bread we stole from Abraham's pantry. We talked for hours and hours before heading back to the common house. Michelle made me feel safe. And for the next couple months, we were inseparable. About four months into my stay, or about three months after the first rise, there were unsettling murmurings in the church. Father Abraham was taking in more people as the weather worsened, and he had personally taken over the job of writing the weekly pamphlets that we sent door to door, which was usually the office staff's job. People were saying he was preparing for something important. He assigned me to deliver the handmade pamphlets. Out of curiosity, I opened one and peeked inside. The left page was covered top to bottom with an enormous gold cross. I turned my eyes to the second page. Three lines of text were centered in the middle, handwritten, stating, Find warmth. Be saved. Now is the time. Then the church's address. It was strange, but I was in no position to question his authority, so I started out of the church. I was two steps on the sidewalk when I realized Father Abraham had forgotten to give me the day's list of addresses, so I turned around and went back to his office. I quietly opened the door, but stopped in a jerk as soon as I peeked inside. Sitting alone in the dark at his desk his gaunt face only illuminated by a blue computer screen, sat Abraham, kneeling on the floor with both his hands clasped above him as if praying. In front of him was his computer monitor displaying camera feeds from inside the church and the common house. In the kitchen, the bedrooms, the bathrooms, he sat transfixed, eyes darting from screen to screen, mumbling to himself. I gasped aloud. He spun around on the floor just after I ducked out of the door frame. I dropped all the pamphlets and went straight to the common house. I found Michelle and told her everything, and she agreed to pack immediately and leave. On our way out, before we'd even stepped away from the house, I heard muffled screaming from inside the church, and people suddenly poured out. The ground shook like an earthquake, and... In an instant, the roof of the church exploded. Dozens of bodies rising above it, cradled by jet black roots. In the street, Abraham stood watching with a video camera pointed at the church. Glory to God, he shouted, delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. In the flash... In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Mm -hmm. 
When I discovered Abraham in his office, I figured he was some voyeuristic creep taking in sinners to film them while they sleep, but seeing him standing and watching all those people die, he was waiting for the second rise to happen. Somehow he knew it would happen. I whipped around to face Michelle. Her face held a look I'd never seen before. A look of absolute and pure terror. I grabbed her hand and we ran. I didn't look back, not at the church, not at Abraham, at all the people around us being taken above, nor did I pay attention to the sound of trumpets echoing like a whale's call. I slapped my hands over my ears and ran, making sure Michelle was beside me. I don't remember how long it was until we stopped running, but by the time we did, the rise was over. The roots stopped growing as suddenly as they'd started. I uncovered my ears and there was dead silence in the air, the kind you get when you tell a stale joke, except this silence didn't end. I never saw Abraham or anyone from the church. There were people running around in a panic, so Michelle and I hid for a long time. We stuck together for years after that. I love her, and I'll stick with her till the end, but I don't know how much longer the both of us can withstand this cold. It might... It might be time soon to see you again, Mom. I'm going to leave this recording at our house next to your poetry. Goodbye. I wish things could have been different. That's what you get for being human, right? We wish things could have been different, but we never try making any difference at all. <laughs> There's some poetry for you. Guide to the Risen World, Volume 1, Audio Transcription, Chapter 3, Traversing the Landscape. <clears throat> Risen buildings can prove a great obstacle to traverse. Because of this, I've decided to include a guide on how to reach high places in the situation that you need to. First off, dress appropriately. Wind chill can kill you in a matter of seconds up there, so don't leave any skin exposed, no matter what. Unless you don't want fingers anymore. Secondly, travel prepared. Bring climbing equipment and learn how to use it safely. Risen areas can get up to a mile tall. So if you venture that far, you need a respirator and an oxygen tank or canned recreational oxygen. Luckily, oxygen can't freeze. So there should be plenty in hospitals or sports stores if you can access one. Lastly, Never travel alone if you can, and, and, n never separate from your partner. The roots can get clustered and block your vision, easily getting you lost. If you become separated from your companion, re remain calm and, I can't do this, I can't do this. <laughs> I... I got our sealant, David. I fixed the leak. 
We should be safe for a while. Come home soon, okay? Please. Abby, can you hear me? Please tell me you still have your walkie. David! Abby, I don't have much time. They don't know I have a radio. But if I'm too loud with it, they'll probably hear. Some people took me from the mall after the roof came down. I was knocked out. Where did they take you? I don't know where exactly, but I think there's some sort of new bandit group. I'll figure out where I am. That's like, kind of my thing. What did they do with your stuff? Hold on, hold on. Someone's coming. Maybe you'd be more willing to repent 
to God's messenger. Yeah, maybe I would. <laughs> Open the cage! Yes, Father. Graven was written and produced by Oliver Zabo. Adam was performed by Ian Blancas. Abigail was performed by Lindsay Zana. David was performed by Ethan Woodruff, or Pancake King. Madison was performed by Beth Lindley. News Anchor was performed by Sir Cranch. Nina was performed by Maddie Gerard. Weatherman was performed by Sean Curran. The Bandits were performed by Dexter Howard and Night Guy. Prophet Apoth was performed by Wyatt West. Original score composed by Blue Ayanami. Fully recorded from freesound.org and recorded by Brosnan Zabo. Script edited by Theo Armstrong. Visit our Twitter in the show description for updates, art, and more. Thank you for listening, and keep warm.